Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. I am very excited. Uh, to be here this morning, uh, I, like, like Brooke just referenced, uh, it was a crazy day of football yesterday, um, so let's just go ahead and agree not to talk about it, okay? Uh, Arkansas didn't do great, LSU didn't do great, Alabama lost, that's good, okay? But uh, So let's, let's just celebrate for that. If you're excited Alabama lost, let's give it up, okay? Uh, and they lost to A&M, which y'all beat, uh, so... <laughs> I've heard y'all make that argument before when you beat LSU. And so, uh, man, um, I, I, really, I really am glad to be here. Uh, before I get into my message, though, I do, I want to brag on y'all's pastors. Um, I have been here and got to speak in Cabot before, but actually James and Cody weren't here, so I didn't get to uh, talk about them. Um, but uh, I, I just want you guys to know that, like, y'all's pastors, they're, I know you know they're good. But from across the state, all of the campuses, all of the staff at New Life Church across this entire state, we respect and admire James and Cody Bennett. They, they have an incredible amount of integrity and faithfulness. James told me last service that he has been here now for 17 years. When he showed up, we called him Sunshine. Okay, because uh, if anybody's seen any of the pictures, he had hair. He looked like Sunshine from Remember the Titans. So, uh, uh, sorry, James. That's everybody's going to call you now. Um, and, uh, man, I just, I, I love this man. He has been a mentor to me. Uh, he, has, he has led me. There have been times where uh, I, I've loved him and times when I plotted an assassination of him. Okay, but like, but there. But at the end of it all, I have always known that he loved me, and I have so much respect for him. He's one of the toughest, most solid people I know. Nothing can break him except for apparently disc golf, okay? Uh, um, but I, I really am. Y'all give it up. Y'all give it up for your pastors, James and Cody Bennett, one more time. Uh, they, they really are the coolest, okay? But I want to tell y'all just a little bit about me, and then I'm going to get into this word today. Uh, last time I came here, I had more hair and I was at the Greenbrier campus. Uh, and, uh, and that was a couple of years ago before COVID and all of that kind of stuff. And so now, uh, obviously, I've shaved my head, but God has also uh, taken us uh, out of Greenbrier. Uh, we had an amazing couple uh, that was just obvious that they were anointed to be the pastors in Greenbrier. And my dad actually called me and asked me to pray about and to think about going to the Conway campus. And, uh, and so Katie and I, we got together and we prayed and we thought about it. And, uh, and then about two years ago uh, now, um, this month, we made the decision to go ahead and move over to Conway. Uh, we are now the campus pastors there, and I love being back in Conway. Uh, I love Greenbrier. That is, uh, like, the, you, you'll probably hear some of it today in my message. I actually got called to ministry in the city uh, of Greenbrier. I say city. It is barely a town, okay? But uh, in the town of Greenbrier, and, uh, but now Conway uh, it, it is eerie to be a pastor there. That is where I grew up in church, but I am so glad to be there. I do have an awesome family, though, as well, that has grown up a little bit since the last time I was here. Uh, my wife is here 
uh, but I have two amazing children. That is Jack and Bo. They did not get to come this morning, um, but we, we, we absolutely love our little family. And here, tip of the day, if you have toddlers in here and you want a cute picture of your family, have your toddlers put their hands in their pockets. Okay, uh, so that's the only reason, because then all, all they have to do is focus on smiling, okay? And, uh, and every other photo didn't work, but we finally got them to put their hands in their pockets. That's why that photo works out. But I, I, I love my family, but more than anything, when I look at that, I think about the amazing rock that my wife is to me, that, uh, the support that she has been to me uh, in ministry. Can y'all give it up for my wife? She's down here on the front row. Love you, babe. Uh, okay, so uh, like I said, um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, obviously, I love James and Cody, but uh, I love when I get to come here and speak to you guys. Uh, Cabot, it feels like home, and even when I'm here and I'm worshiping with you guys, Ethan did a great job, man, but it's just the anointing is in this place. Uh, and so what I'm going to talk to you about today, I probably wouldn't talk to just anybody in any church that um, I, I didn't love genuinely from the bottom of my heart. Because this message that I have for you today is going to be a little punchy at spots. James said that y'all are used to it, okay? Uh, all right, and so that, that's great. Uh, he got that out of the way for me, okay? But, but typically, I wouldn't come in here and talk to you about it. But because I see all that God is doing here, I feel like because he put it on my heart, and because I, I was able to speak uh, a similar message to this to our people in Conway, that he also asked me to speak it to you guys, okay? And so I know most of y'all have notes this morning. Uh, if you have notes, then you're probably already ahead of me. Uh, but the message that I am speaking to you this morning is called Pride is a Process. Pride is is a process. Raise your hand in here if you struggle with pride. Okay, pretty good. 50% of the people in here. Um, here's what I want to hit you with. This message is not for the people that just raised their hand. It's for the 50% of you that were too proud <laughs> to raise their hand, okay? Uh, so like already I'm swinging, okay? Uh, all right, uh, like this message honestly, is for everybody. But what I find interesting and why I call this pride is a process, because yes, I think we all know that pride is inherently in us, but there is different levels to this pride thing. There's different awareness levels to this pride thing. And people tend to uh, either really understand that they are prideful and proud that they are prideful, okay? Uh, or, or it is completely oblivious to them and that they are completely living in false humility. But all of us, we hate to be someone who is in need, who is in pain, who has to ask for help. Uh, this is like, this is something, and there is a pride level that is on the inside of us. Uh, this last week, um, a few months ago, I found uh, a love of mine, and it is cycling. I, uh, I, I ride my road bike all the time, in fact, I've rode with your pastor a couple of times. A couple of times he humiliates me every time I go with him. He is a machine. When he hurt his knee, I immediately called him and asked him if he would go for a bike ride with me <laughs> so, so, uh, so I could help my pride. All right. Um, uh, but 
uh, through this process, I've had a couple of people who have tried to get me to go mountain biking. And I thought, yeah, that's the same. It's both bikes. Uh, no, it's not the same. If you've ever done mountain biking, road biking is like, it's great. And if you push yourself, you go a little bit faster on roads that were meant for cars that go 60 miles an hour. Okay, on mountain biking, you're going through this little bitty trail. And this last week, I went up to uh, northern Arkansas, uh, southern Missouri in Branson, and uh, I went for a little mountain biking uh, trip ride with a couple of buddies. And have you ever been doing something before, maybe you can relate with this, where you're doing it and in the middle of it, you realize I am not qualified to do this, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm doing this thing and they told me this was easy, okay? And I'm, I'm looking at this and I feel like I'm learning to ride a bike again. Uh, I'm going down this trail. And if you've ever been mountain biking before, you know you're not supposed to hit the brakes when going down a hill especially the front brake. Well, you can see where this is going. Uh, I, I come around this corner, and, and I'm going down a mountain. Okay, I don't know how else to describe it. And, uh, and I realize I'm going really fast. I can't do this. My brain forgets which handle is the rear brake, which handle is the front brake, and I just squeeze them both as hard as I can. Okay, uh, and I go over the handlebars, land um, uh, on, on my elbows, scraped up both of my knees. I'm laying there. I've got friends around me. And it's, have you ever fallen so hard before that like you, you don't even know, you don't want to move afterwards, okay? It's like, if I move, I'm going to find out that there's broken bones in me, okay? So I, like I fell over the handlebars. I'm laying there. I'm just looking up at the trees, trying to figure out what excuse I'm going to come up with to my friends when they come back. They come back and they ask me, Owner, are you okay? And I responded with the opposite of the truth, but what every man specifically in here has said before, I'm all good, bro, okay? Uh, I'm all good. And I, I realized as I was having, because we were halfway through the ride and I was finishing and I'm bleeding uh, all, all out of every corner of my body and, uh, and I'm in a lot of pain. I realized, why do we have such a hard time asking for help? Like, why do you and I have such a hard time admitting that we're in pain or admitting that we're hurting? And, uh, and I, I get that this isn't the rule for everybody, but typically, you and I, we have a hard time admitting when we need something. And... Uh, and I think it's very easy for us to try to resist asking for help um, in the same way that I think that God actually asked for you and I to resist being proud. You know, I think that when you read the Bible, you see that God tells us to resist to become proud. I think uh, if we are supposed to resist becoming proud, then you and I are also called to we have to accept humility in our life and fight to be humble. Um, but uh, so this is what I want you to write down. I don't think this is in your notes. I didn't look at them super clearly, okay? But most of you have a pen. I want you to, as I'm going through this message today, answer this question. Where are you in the pride process? Where are you? in the pride process. I 
think this is something that is probably going to be a little bit different for everybody. Um, but just a couple of hints and ways for you to identify as we're going through this. Uh, remember, pride, it craves its own will. It says things like, I want that and I don't want that. It says, you can't tell me what to do. It says, it's my life. I will do what I want. And we know that this isn't really something that we are asked to do. And we know this specifically because this is not what Jesus did when he showed up to earth. Okay, Jesus, when he showed up 2,000 years ago, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, or the night that he was betrayed. He is praying, begging God to take this cup from him. Okay, he is sweating blood. We all know this story, but this is what I want you to catch. As Jesus is praying, he looks up to God, his Father, and says, yet not my will, but your will be done. If you and I want to live a life that is not full of pride, we have to begin to give God our will. We have to begin to identify where we are fighting. In James chapter 4, verse 13, it says, don't just go to that city or marry that person or take that job. It says, if it is your will, then I will go. So we know that this is a big deal for God, like for us to go to him and ask for his direction. Again, pride doesn't say that. You may have heard people say before, uh, it's a popular saying, you are either humble or you will be humbled. Okay, it's a great saying, but I'm gonna take it one step further. I'm gonna say, you are either humble or you will be humiliated. I have seen it time and time again when somebody refuses to lay down their pride. Humiliation, unfortunately, will follow. And I've seen it follow people of all different backgrounds. Like it follows rich and poor alike. You can be the poorest person on earth. You can be Britney Spears, okay? You could be an ex-NBA an ex player, and the FBI show up at your door trying to get their money back. It does not matter. When you refuse to lay down your pride, you better be careful. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, we're going to dive into 1 Samuel chapter 15 today, and we're going to learn from two people really in this passage. We're going to learn from a king named Saul, which most of you have probably heard of, and then eventually we're going to learn from a king named David. Both of these guys were uh, anointed as kings over Israel. However, one of them allowed pride to overtake his life and the other one allowed his life to be led in humility. Okay, so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17. I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of background on this and, uh, and I'm gonna give you some points, okay? And Samuel said to Saul, now, before, you can leave that up there, okay? But before we go into this, I want you to get a little bit of context for this scripture. Uh, Saul, uh, he eventually, uh, he was, uh, the anointing was taken away from him to be the king over Israel. And, uh, and this is that moment, what we are about to read into, okay? Uh, Samuel was the prophet of the day. And Samuel, uh, the prophet of the day, was the only real way that the kings could talk and see what the will of God was for their life. 
And right here in this moment is the last time that Samuel ever talks face-to-face to King Saul. This is the moment that Saul's pride takes over his life and God rips the kingdom of Israel away from his family and gives it to David. Again, we're going to talk more about that in just a second, okay? But this is a big, pivotal moment where we see pride take over and take Saul out of the will of God for his life. That's why it's important for us to study it, okay? And Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, you can underline that, we're gonna come back to it. Have you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and sent you on a mission. So why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you rush upon the plunder and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Then we start getting some excuses coming back from Saul. And when he responds and he says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. But Samuel declared to him, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You allowed pride to take over your life. And what you did was for you and for you alone. And your pride reeks of arrogance. Your decisions, they reek of arrogance. So I know uh, we're, we're not in the specifics of this passage yet, but what you need to see is that God hates it when we let pride take over our lives. He cannot stand it when we try to take credit or try to take something that he is trying to give to us. He is constantly asking for you and I to be humble of heart. The wrong heart is pride. Humility is when God gets the final say. You can be emotional, torn up, and hurting, but you still let God get the final say. Some people, they can look humble. They can appear to be humble, but they can be prideful because they don't allow God to get the final say in anything in their life. And that is when we begin to respond to God like Saul did in this passage. So I'm gonna break this scripture down for you and I'm gonna show you a few warning signs that we can see in Saul that you can see some pride going on in his life. Number one, three signs of the pride process. We see incomplete obedience in Saul. We see incomplete obedience in Saul. Here's a side thought for you that really has nothing to do with my message. Um, But obedience is worship, by the way. Okay? When you and I are obedient to God and we choose to follow his commands for our life, not even understanding them sometimes, maybe not even agreeing with them, that is, there is no greater worship than in that moment. You saying, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna do what you ask of me, okay? That's just a quick little side thought. All right, but back to 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, when we see some incomplete obedience creeping in to Saul's life. It says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obedience to his voice? Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice and attentiveness is better than the fat 
of rams. Look, Saul thought that he could live in disobedience because he still had a planned sacrifice in his life. Some of y'all are sitting there thinking, Hunter, what in the world is a planned sacrifice? That sounds very Old Testament. Okay, uh, planned sacrifice, I'll break it down to you this way. And it can look a lot of different ways in a lot of in, in all of our uh, or in all of our lives. But basically a planned sacrifice is a planned way to massage your guilt. To a planned way for you to feel better about the decisions that you make, even though we know that God does not work this way and that there is no real healing this way. Planned sacrifice looks a lot like someone saying, I want to be decent, but I don't really want to be holy. I want to be decent, but I don't really know about this holy thing. Looking at people in your life, thinking, man, if I can just be decent, then I can be better than all of them. I don't have to go all the way to this holiness thing that God is asking me to do in his word. Planned sacrifice can look like, I don't want to be all in. I just want to appear like I'm all in. I want to go to church enough times a month that all of my friends and family think that I love church. I want to read the Bible just enough that I can quote a scripture when somebody asks me what my favorite verse is. I want to bring my kids to church just enough that they don't grow up and go to prison, okay? Like, we do things just enough so that we can appear all in instead of just falling in love with God and becoming all in to what he wants for our life. In fact, a prideful heart could be here with a planned sacrifice in church of I'm going to church this morning so that I feel better about the mistakes that I made this last week or on Friday night or this morning on the car ride here. I just, I can't handle this guilt in my life. And instead of actually doing what the Bible tells you to do, you've just got some planned sacrifices going instead, okay? Number two, second thing we see in Saul. We see spiritualized excuses. Ouch. Um, I'm not gonna have you vote if you've ever done one of these, okay? But I promise you, I have more than once. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 20, it says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul replied, getting back into his excuses. I went on the mission that the Lord gave me. I brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I devoted the Amalekites to destruction. The troops took sheep and cattle from the plunder, yes, but the best of the things devoted to destruction in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Okay, if you just read this scripture without any context, you can think, you know, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like Saul really was just trying to honor God. What is Samuel so upset about? What you might miss is that Saul had disobeyed God. And it was very clear what God asked him to do just a few verses earlier. I'm not going to put it up on, a sc- on the screen, but when it says, now go attack the, uh, the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, 
put to death men and women, children and infants, I'm sorry, Old Testament, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. We see a very clear set of instructions for God. And Saul, to make himself appear good, tried to spiritualize his excuse for why he didn't do it with sacrifice. Benjamin Franklin has a great quote. He says, people who are good at making excuses are rarely good at anything else. Uh, how true that is. But another little side note that we're going to come back to, I think that David took note of Saul spiritualizing his excuses. I think that David took a lot of notes of Saul and what not to do, okay? But I think that this is one of the things specifically that he learned. Like, man, I am not going to spiritualize. When I mess up, I'm going to own it. I'm, I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm not going to try to put it on God. I'm not going to try to change the word a little bit to get it to be what I want it to be. No, I, I'm going to own my mistakes. Again, we're going to come back to this. Because the worst kind of excuse is a spiritual excuse. Uh, I'm going to say a few hard things to you real quick. Uh, if everybody could just look at me, I, I want you to be ready for this. I don't want to catch you uh, at a left field on this one. But be careful with spiritualized excuses. Um, I think that this is something that has really been a problem in our world today, uh, especially in the Bible Belt. You and I, we, we've, we've been raised, I, I bet if we raised our hands, most of us have been in church most of our lives. And so we know exactly how to spiritualize an excuse, but please be careful with it. Please be careful when you say things like, God is blessing my business so much that I can't keep going to church every Sunday. Be careful. Please be careful when you say things like, my kids are so talented and so gifted by God that I don't really think they need to go to youth group anymore because they need to practice. Be careful. Be careful. I'm going so hard and I'm so tired that I need the Sabbath. I just don't think I need the Sabbath in the church. I just need to stay at home today. Be careful. Be careful with your excuses. Remember what God's word says. And if you really want to slap in the face, go read Romans 2 this week during your quiet time. I'm not going to read it all to you today. But Paul knew that you and I were going to have a tendency to make excuses for why we couldn't do things. And he writes it out and he reads you and I's mail very well in Romans chapter 2. Feel free to go and read that this week. Um, spiritualized excuse that I made in my life one time. I was, uh, as a kid, um, when I was in high school, there was a girl who began to show some kind of interest in me, and my parents decided that I wasn't really ready yet to date anybody, and they told me, Hunter, no, you cannot date this person. And I said, okay. And I just remember sitting there, like, in my room at night trying to think of a way that I could get around this. And I came up with an amazing pastor's kid solution to the problem. I started a life group, okay? Uh, 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 this, is, this is actually a true story, all right? But I went up to my parents and said, Mom, Dad, I feel like God's calling me to start a life group. 
and uh, it's, it's going to be amazing. We're going to meet every week. We might even meet multiple times a week. I don't know. And, uh, and, but I feel like he's told me that he wants me to keep it a real small, intimate group. And, uh, and it, this small, intimate group was me, this other girl, and another couple. Okay, so we just went on double dates all the time, uh, as often as we could. Well, I started this life group because I was really smart when my dad was out of town on a missions trip. Okay, uh, uh, and uh, he was out of town, so he was away for a long time. So the, the life group was going great. Dad was calling me every night, asking me, hey, Hunter, how's, how's this life group? What you, what's your lesson? I'm trying to come up with all of these uh, not good answers, all right? And so my dad knew exactly what was going on. What I didn't know is that he had planned a way to get back home earlier than he had told me he was going to get back. And uh, the week that he was out of town, we were... Uh, having our life group meeting every uh, day before school at a restaurant in Conway called Stobie's. And, uh, and of course, at this point, I had gotten really brave, and the life group had just become me and this girl. And, uh, and we're just hanging out in Stobie's one morning before school. Well, we're sitting there, and she's got, I've got my back to the door, and she is facing the door, and all of a sudden, I see all of the blood drain out of her face. Okay, and uh, she is horrified, and she barely can make out the words, your dad just walked in. And I'm like, I, I kept thinking to myself, if I don't turn around, maybe it won't be true, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and like, I'm turning around. As I'm turning around, my dad shows up, and he's right there at the table. And immediately, I'm coming up with every excuse I can think of. Hey, Dad, uh, I know I'm not supposed to be with so-and-so, okay, but we're waiting for our other people uh, in our life group. They got a flat tire. We're just praying for them and uh, hoping that they're going to be okay. And uh, actually, we were about to uh, start our Bible study. Do you want to lead it this morning? <laughs> okay. uh, and my dad's just looking at me like, I know what you're studying, boy. Okay. And uh, I, I, was, I was so busted. And ever since that day, the thing that's bothered me about it the most was that I used God to do it. Like I made the biggest excuse, the biggest fool out of myself. And I used God to cover it up. That's what makes me feel dirty more than anything else. And if you're in here and you've done that, I want you to know it's okay. But stop. Come clean. Ask God for forgiveness, and let's move on. Number three, I'm speed this up. The third sign of pride is confusing insecurity with humility. Some of y'all might not quite have understood that. So I'm going to put it to you a different way. Pride and insecurity are not opposites. They are twins. You and I, we have the same problem, the same root of issues in our life when we are dealing with pride and when we are dealing with insecurity. Both of them think that you are the solution. When we struggle with pride, we think, you know what? I've got this. I can handle whatever comes my way. And when we struggle with insecurity, maybe you're not loud and boastful and proud about it, but you still think that you control the outcome. You still think Man, people are not going to like me because I make this mistake. People are not going to like me or believe in me because of this problem in my life. 
It's all about me, 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 me. Both are the same. Every pastor uh, has a big insecurity. And, uh, and that is always, we, we are always afraid of saying something really dumb uh, that people can record and put on YouTube. Okay, like that is, uh, I think it's because we all spend, that's what we do in our spare time. <laughs> okay, we go through YouTube. It's like, oh, what did this guy say? All right. And uh, I was like, man, I just know that's going to happen to me. And, uh, and I've never done that, I don't think. Um, but what I have done one time is I made a mistake at a wedding. There was uh, this couple who came to me, and I knew this girl. I knew her family really well, and they asked if I would do their wedding. Uh, they needed to be done pretty quick because they were moving here from another state, and they didn't want to live together. They wanted to do uh, this marriage thing right. And, uh, and so they were like, we will do whatever you ask for us to do, but we just need to be married so that we can move in uh, together and, 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 and do this the right way. And I said, okay, we're going to do it. So Katie and I, we like crammed in a bunch of premarital counseling with this couple. Um, they came over to our house several nights a week. We knew them very well by the end of it. And finally I looked at them and said, okay, y'all are ready. We're going to do this thing. And, uh, and then we get to the wedding. I'm standing up in front. The whole thing, it goes perfectly. And we get to the very end. And don't forget, I told you guys, I knew her family really well. I did not know his family really well, and it never crossed my brain that that's not a good thing. Because we get to the end where I pronounce them man and wife, husband and wife. And I say, I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Tom. And do you ever start sweating really fast? Like your brain, I'm thinking through everything. I'm thinking through name tags. I'm thinking through uh, uh, their wedding light, their marriage license. I'm thinking through every bit of paper that's gone across my desk, trying to remember this guy's last name. And I could not remember it. Okay, and so I just, I, I broke. I said, Mr. and Mrs. Tom. Tom, what's your last name? Okay. <laughs> I just had to look down and ask him in front of everybody. And what I was not prepared for was the room erupted in laughter because his last name was Samanich. And everybody just thought I was making fun of how complicated his last name was. Okay, I'm so glad it wasn't Smith. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, so like he laughs. It's Samanich. All right, and he tells me. He's like, okay, I know for that you Mr. Tom Samanich. Woo, I come off the stage. I was like, Hunter, that was a good joke. Yeah, it was. All right. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea, okay? Why did in that moment did I start sweating so much? Why did it bother me so much? It was my pride, my insecurity, my issues. Okay, they didn't mind. They didn't care. They were just happy to be getting married to one another. It's amazing to me the amount of times in our life we allow ourselves to sweat, stress out, get completely out of whack because of your issues. Nobody else even cares, okay? Three ways to combat pride. Real quick. Number one, fully repent of the pride in you. Hunter, I don't have any pride. I know you didn't raise your hand at the beginning of the sermon. Okay, uh, we all have pride. Every one of us struggle with this. And this is a great thing to have reoccurring in your prayer life. Just asking God, 
God, if there's anything in me, if there's any pride in me, I am so sorry. Help me to get back on track. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's a practical way that you can repent of the pride in you? You can have a conversation with God. You can have a conversation with somebody you trust. Uh, If you're in a life group, go and talk to your life group leader in here. Uh, If you're not in a life group, get in a life group, one, okay? But two, we're gonna have an altar call down here at the end of service. You can come down here and you can talk with somebody about what's going on in your life. You can ask for them to pray with you. You can tell them mistakes that you made. If you're not ready to talk about the mistakes, that's okay. Tell them that. And just have somebody pray with you. Be repentant towards God. Number two, remember how far God is willing to stoop down for you. This whole message came out of this one scripture in 1 Samuel 15, 17. When it says, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? When I read that scripture, it just challenged me, man, to remember where I've come from. The places that God chose to soup down and grab me out of, to remember that God chooses to use us more often than not when we are at our lowest, not when we are at our best. Look at the examples throughout the scripture. Moses was a prince of Egypt. He was in the palace, the most powerful nation on the entire planet, and God did not call him while he was there. God called him when he was in the desert. He loves to grab us when we need him the most. He didn't choose to grab Elijah when he was on the mountaintop. He chose to grab Elijah when he was in the cave. He didn't call Paul when he could see. He called Paul when he was blind as a bat, sitting in a room wondering what is going to happen in my life. He didn't call Joseph in the house of Jacob, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or even in the house of Potiphar. He called him out of prison what he had planned for him. Remember that in your life because I promise if we went around this room, the majority of you, you know that God showed up in your life when you were at your least. And remember that when we wake up every day and we follow him. Like he chose us at our worst and he still believes in us today. He loves to stoop down to make us great. I can't believe how far he stooped down for me. And number three, we need to build an identity of humility. Look, no one was better at doing this point than David. David David understood that he did not deserve anything that God gave him. And it's amazing to me to read through the scripture and see the examples of it. 
It's like when David was just a boy, Samuel shows up and anoints him as the future king over Israel. Can you imagine what that would do for your teenager's ego? Okay. And look what it did to David. David doesn't walk out and then walk like to Jerusalem, even though that wasn't the capital at the time, okay, and say, and walk into the palace and say, you know what, I'm here. I'm here, I've been anointed. No, instead what David did is he walked out of his dad's house and walked back out into the field and resumed being a shepherd, understanding fully that God would show up and call him when he needed him. And he was gonna be faithful with what he had been given. Then we see a little while later on, David is called by his dad into the house and says, hey, I need you to go take this food to your brothers out in the battlefield. And he shows up and he's out there and he hears this big giant called Goliath cursing, mocking his people. He says, I'm gonna take him on. At that point, if I'm David, Okay, I passed the first test. But now Saul calls David into his tent. Says, I want to talk to you. Says, hey, I know you want to go fight this guy. I'm going to give you my armor. Now I'm David. I've been anointed the king over Israel. And the current king is trying to give me his armor to go out and to fight and lead a battle of the entire army of Israel. What does David do? No, I'm good. That's not for me. That's not what I've been graced to do. And instead he walks out, grabs a few smooth stones from a creek, slays a giant and defeats an entire army of Philistines. Why? Because he knew what God had been training him to do. He knew, man, all these years that I've been a shepherd, all these years that I've just been hanging out with sheep, killing lions and bears that are trying to get them, God has been preparing me for something. And it wasn't to wear a suit of armor and to lead an entire army. It was to defend the word of God and his people with the tools that he had been given. Eventually, we know the story. David became the king over Israel. And he had one pretty big slip up with Bathsheba. You can go and you can listen to a lot of different messages on it. What I find interesting about it is that David wasn't finally restored unto God and called a man after God's own heart until he got humble. Until he said, you know what, God? I'm sorry. Not my will, but your will be done. And we see it even in Psalm 51, verse 17, when David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. You would please bow your heads all around the room. Right there in your seat, I want you to have an honest conversation with God.
I had you write down at the beginning of this message, where are you in the pride process? Where am I in the pride process? Has it taken over my life? Are people scared to talk to me? To tell me things that they see in my life, blind spots I have going on? If you're married in here, what's it like to be married to you right now? Are you someone who is humble or proud of heart? When Jesus was a young boy, he was prophesied over by a man named Simeon. And for a while, people thought that Simeon, he got the prophecy wrong because he looked at Jesus and he said that this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Many people thought that the Messiah was destined to raise up, be a conqueror, conquer all of Rome and Then after he had conquered it all, he would establish what people were supposed to do and the nation of Israel would be back at the head and everybody else would be lessened. But that was not the message that Jesus showed up to share. Jesus showed up to say, if you want to be great, you must be humble. The first shall be the last and the last shall be the first. The first way I know how to fix anything that's going on in my life is to get humble before God and admit it. So if you're in here and you would say, you know what, Hunter? That's me. It's been a long time since I repented of the things that are going on in my life. In fact, you might be in here and you say, you know what, Hunter? At one point in my life, Jesus was running everything. But that was a long time ago. It's all about me. It's all about I. And I need to repent in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you've never said that. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never said, God, come in to my life. I see what you did on the cross. And I'm sorry for every moment that I live trying to call my own shots. I need you to come in. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to make me new. That's you in this room. I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand up all around the room? I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. Come on, Jesus. I got you. I see you. All the way in the back. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Okay, you can put your hands down. You don't have to repeat this prayer that I'm about to say, but you do need to mean it. You need to mean it with all of your heart. 
thankful to be a part of ministry and a part of God's church. But if there's anything that I feel like our church has lost over the last season, it has been a genuineness to commune with God. Make real decisions and commitments to Him and to Him alone. And if you were in here and you just raised your hand, I want this moment to mean something for you when you pray, Lord, I, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I'm sorry for the sinner that I have become. Lord, I know what your son did for me on that cross. And I accept it. I believe that he was rose again three days later. And whosoever should believe in him shall have eternal life. Father, I want to live for you for the rest of my life. I don't want to look to the left or to the right. I want to look straight ahead to what you have for me. In your name I pray. Amen.